Let me say a word of prayer as we open the Bible together. Our Heavenly Father, you say that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So I pray that we would know its life and its activity this lunchtime. Amen. So Matthew chapter 14 from verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not worry. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just to touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Where is your hope today? Because if ever there was a time when we needed hope, it is now, isn't it? If ever there was a time for people of hope, it is now. A week ago, the Prime Minister spoke about the coronavirus pandemic from Downing Street. And he said, I must level with you, the British public. Many more families are going to lose their loved ones before their time. And it was a sobering moment. It was for many of us the moment of realisation that life as we have known it is going to change significantly, at least for the time being. And these past few days since have been a whirlwind, haven't they? We've learned a whole new language. Social distancing, self-isolation, flattening the curve. And we've been introduced to new patterns of living, working from home, virtual meetings, video church. And with it has come fear. Fear for those who have and will contract the virus. For those who will suffer from its effects for those who will lose their lives because of it, for those who will grieve those close to them. And fear too for the practical and economic uncertainties, for those struggling to get supplies from the shops, for those working in industries affected by shutdowns, for those on the front lines of care in the NHS and of cleaning to prevent the spread of infection. Any compassionate person would have concern for these things. 
It was a few months ago now that I was planning ahead for these lunchtime services. I planned to speak today about the topic of climate change. My belief is that the Bible speaks into the world that we live in. Unashamedly, I hold that the Christian faith in the person of Jesus uniquely has the resources to respond to the circumstances of life. The Bible tells us that we're part of a story. It's a story that began with a good God who created a good world. It says that it was corrupted by the fall of humankind, by the deliberate rebellion of human beings against their good creator God. And it's the same choice each one of us has made ever since. We've wanted to live our own way in the world, taking what was once good and turning it for evil. And the shockwaves of that first rebellion have reached every part of God's creation. It is cursed now, and we see the effects of it. Some are indirect. There are the natural disasters that claim lives each year. There are the biomedical catastrophes that just now in the West we're waking up to. But others are more direct. There's the power hunger that leads to war. There's the greed that leads to poverty and injustice. There's the carelessness that leads to climate change. Greta Thunberg is the 17-year-old Swedish schoolgirl who's inspired the media and the public with her campaigning for climate change. She's spoken to mass rallies, to parliaments, even the United Nations, with a wake-up call to the world about what she calls a climate emergency. I was struck just before Christmas reading a magazine critic reflecting on Greta's guest editor slot on the Today programme on Radio 4, This critic said, On the radio, will Thunberg appear a less lonely-seeming figure? Her frown sometimes, I think, contains a flicker of the sad, profound suspicion that it is, in fact, our DNA-deep destiny to destroy the planet. It was an insightful comment. Perhaps there is something about us that keeps making wrong and harmful choices. And perhaps some of Greta's obvious anger is about the effects of sin in the world, though she wouldn't necessarily recognize it as such. And the Bible tells us that we should expect this kind of trauma. We should expect to see a world ill at ease with itself. Actually, the language the Bible uses is that of groaning. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the ancient church in Rome, uh, Romans 8 verses 22 to 23. He wrote, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He says that the world is in pain. And we know that, don't we? Whether it's coronavirus or climate change, we know that things aren't as they should be. Something has gone terribly wrong. And we long for a time when they will be put right again. But this groaning isn't just any groaning. These pains aren't just any pain. These are labour pains that they're serious and they hurt terribly, but they mean that new life is coming, 
A reformed and remade world is being gestated and is in the process of delivery. And we too, each of us, we groan inwardly as we recognize our own fragility and suffer under it. The gospel brings a recognition of that great need and the promise of redemption and of restoration. That's why the Apostle Paul goes on there to speak of hope, certain hope now for us and for the world, not in problems solved immediately necessarily, but in redemption and restoration through them once a time of groaning as in labour is over. So he goes on Romans 8, 24 to 25, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It seems to me that this is a time for hope and this is a time for people of hope. I was talking with my colleague Rico Tice earlier uh, from a safe social distance. He admitted to me that he sometimes feels embarrassed reading his Bible on the underground. Uh, He wants to shield it a little bit so that he doesn't look weird to his fellow commuters. Now, Rico's an evangelist. He's paid to tell people about Jesus from the Bible. Uh, And if you know Rico, you'll know that he's hardly a shrinking violet. But he said these past couple of days... He's held his Bible open on the tube quite confidently. He's got a a renewed sense that the message of Jesus in the gospel is what people truly need to hear. And maybe at this time, it's also what they're hungry for in a way that they haven't been before. And so with that said, I want to turn very briefly to that story about Jesus from Matthew's gospel, chapter 14 and from verse 22. It'll be a familiar story to many. It's the story of Jesus walking on water on the Sea of Galilee. A night has fallen. Jesus has gone off on his own to pray. His disciples have taken a boat out over the lake on the way to the other side. It's about four miles across and it can pick up a decent wind as it comes down from the hills around. And they look up and they see Jesus walking towards them. Well, how would you react if you saw that? I was once with a group of children from Sunday school telling them this story and asking them what they made of it. I got out a big, deep tray and I filled it with water. And then I invited the children to volunteer. Who thinks that they can walk on water? Who wants to give it a go? Most of the children, uh, they put up their hands. And so I got a few of them to demonstrate. And one by one, they took off their shoes and their socks. They stepped into the tray of water. And there was bad news and good news. The bad news was that they each discovered that they were not, in fact, able to walk on water. The good news was that they all got a nice foot wash at church that morning. I did enjoy reporting back what had happened uh, when I told one of my colleagues that the kids all thought that they could walk on water. Uh, He replied, they'll get that from their parents. And Matthew tells us what Jesus' disciples made of all this. He says, verse 26, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, 
It is I. Don't be afraid. Here is Jesus in the dead of night before dawn, walking on water, and his disciples are terrified. Things like that just don't happen. This is one of Jesus' miracles. It is one of the things that is impossible with humankind, but is possible with God. And it's striking that Jesus' words to them are words of comfort. He says, don't be afraid. Because he has a different perspective on what's going on. They think that he's sneaking up on them in the dead of night to give them a fright. He thinks he is coming to them to make himself known by his presence and with his power. When Jesus makes his presence known, it's not a time for fear, but a time of hope and expectation. In the high winds and the choppy waters, here's the one who made the world standing on the surface of a big lake, showing that he is in control over the world that he made. If that one has come to us, what reason do we have to fear? Well, Peter is always a disciple who's quickest to speak and slowest to think. He sees Jesus standing out on the water and he wants in on the action. His gut feeling is that if Jesus can uphold himself over his creation, he can uphold his people too. So he asks and Jesus answers and Peter steps out onto the water himself. Now, I wonder if you would be bold enough to step out of the boat. I wonder if you would have the faith, the hope that you could be upheld by Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what this is a picture of. It is a picture of an ordinary person putting their trust in Jesus, that he is able to keep his head above water, that he can keep him afloat. I asked a moment ago, where is your hope? Because I think we have here a picture of two places that we might put our hope and the consequences of each of them. Peter here in verse 30, where he notices the wind and starts to focus on his circumstances, Peter finds himself sinking into the water. And when we lose hope, Or when we put our hope in the wrong place, we find ourselves sinking too. If we're honest with ourselves, we can't hold ourselves up. We can't hold the world up. And if we try to do so, we'll find ourselves sinking sooner or later. As we face some real and grave challenges in the world around us of of climate change or our response to coronavirus, uh, we would do well to look for a hope That doesn't depend on our efforts. Because if we try, we will sink. A little while ago, a cartoon rang in the New Yorker magazine. It was of greater Thunberg posing like the ancient Greek god Atlas, holding the world up on her shoulders. And the caption underneath read, well, someone's got to do it. Greta herself has said something similar at an Extinction Rebellion rally just down the road at Marble Arch in April last year. She said, since no one else is doing anything, we will have to. Now, as a Christian, I believe that God made the world and he cares about the world. I believe that he sent human beings into the world to act as stewards of it, tending it and keeping it. 
I believe it is wrong to abuse the world's resources. Yet as a Christian, I find it ultimately sad that a 17-year-old schoolgirl feels that she bears the weight of burden of changing the world for the better. Because her shoulders, like the rest of us, they were never meant to carry such loads. If we put our hope in ourselves, sooner or later we'll see that we can't hold ourselves up. We'll start sinking. And as we face up to the threat of coronavirus and the inevitable changes to life that it will bring, Many more of us and our contemporaries are recognizing that the things that we've put our hope in and our faith in are merely momentary and are not nearly as stable as we thought they were. Now is a time for hope and a time for people of hope, for a hope that is secure, a hope that is outside ourselves. Now is the time for hope, uh, not looking for the strength we find in ourselves, but the strength that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus and his presence with us. That's where our story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee ends. Uh, Peter's taken his eyes off Jesus. He he recognizes that he is sinking and he cries out there in verse 30. Uh, He cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? That there's a certainty in the winds and the waves. There's a firm foundation amid the flood. And it is in fixing your eyes on and putting your trust in and finding your hope in the one who made the world and upholds the world and promises one day to remake the world. Verse 33 Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They recognise Jesus for who he is. They find their hope in him. And so they do the only thing they could do in the circumstances. They worship him. So where is your hope? Is it lost in the chaos? Is it in yourself as you seek to keep your head above water in these troubled times? Or is it in the one who is able to uphold you? This is a time for hope. And this is a time for people of hope. And with that in mind, let me pray as we close this time together. I'm going to say a prayer that's from the Book of Common Prayer. It's one of the Church of England's prayers for the visitation of the sick. And I wonder if it's a timely prayer for us now. Let me pray. The Almighty Lord, who is a most strong tower to all those who put their trust in him, to whom all things in heaven, on earth and under the earth bow and obey, be now and evermore your defence. And may you know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given to humankind, in whom and through whom you may receive health and salvation, but only the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.